Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time to ask the question, who's the bosk? This is the podcast you're looking for. Who is this bosk character? I fear him. Who is the bosk? Hello and welcome to Who's the Boss? It's a Star Wars podcast from LaughingPlace.com. My name is Mike Celestino. I am your host. I am the lead Southern California reporter and editorial director for Star Wars content at Laughing Place. This is episode number 109 of Who's the Boss? And it's mostly going to be an interview that I did with composer Natalie Holt, very excited about this. I was super psyched to be able to speak with Miss Holt. She uh, famously scored Marvel Studios' Loki last year and got a lot of notice and acclaim for that. And then she moved on to Lucasfilm's Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi six-episode limited series event on Disney+, Plus, for which she's also been getting a lot of attention. So uh, I was very pleased to be able to speak with Natalie Holt about both of those projects and more uh, coming up in just a little bit. I just want to quickly, before we get to that, go through this week's Star Wars headlines. And the big story coming out of Star Wars this week is the Hyperspace Lounge, which has opened on the newly launched Disney Wish ship, which is the new ship on the Disney Cruise Line. If you haven't taken a Disney Cruise, uh, well, I highly recommend it. Obviously, we're big fans of the Disney Cruise Line here at Laughing Place. I've done the Star Wars Day at Sea on the Disney Cruise Line, but that was on the ship called the Fantasy, and this is the new ship called the Wish. And I actually have co-workers who are aboard the Wish right now as of this recording. There's a media cruise going on. It's the first cruise ever for the Disney Wish. But the big uh, appeal about this ship for Star Wars fans is going to be that hyperspace lounge, which is a, a themed bar themed to Star Wars. And it's got a big like LED window uh, porthole kind of thing looking out into space, sort of like what you would see on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Halcyon. In fact, you can see the Halcyon as one of the ships that pass by the window there as you're hanging out in the hyperspace lounge. It, it looks very, very cool from the pictures and videos that I've seen from the ship. And it's definitely someplace that I would like to visit at some point in the future. So I'm hoping, kind of crossing my finger, crossing my fingers that that happens eventually that I, I get to visit the hyperspace lounge on the Disney Wish. Uh, other than that, we've got tickets on sale now for Star Wars Celebration Europe and yes, Star Wars Celebration just ended about a month ago here in Southern California at the Anaheim Convention Center, and now it's going to be in London in 2023. It's April of 2023. You can go and get your tickets now. Actually, just heard today that tickets for Saturday of that convention next year are already sold out, but you can still get, I think you can still get the full weekend pass, and you can still get individual day tickets for the other three days of the convention. So uh, very excited to go to London next year for Star Wars Celebration. Go and get your tickets now if you are also planning to attend. Uh, let's see, some comic books came out this week. We actually got four comics. I'm still kind of working my way through them, but I did read and write a review for Star Wars Obi-Wan number two, which is the second issue of the miniseries currently uh, coming out from Marvel Comics. This issue flashed back to 
uh, a mission between uh, Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn and his young Padawan, Obi-Wan Kenobi, as they go uh, to this moon that has been shrouded in darkness for mysterious reasons. So they get there and they investigate this kind of mining facility. And as they go through the facility, it gets keeps getting darker and darker. And they're trying to figure out why. I really enjoyed this issue and I recommend picking it up. It's available now. I also read and reviewed Han Solo and Chewbacca, number three from Marvel Comics. And this is continuing the heist mission that set off in issue number one a couple of months ago from Han Solo and Chewbacca at Marvel Comics. And uh, it's a it's a fun read. I really enjoy this Han Solo and Chewbacca comic book. It's got a character in it pretending or at least claiming to be Han Solo's father. So he's kind of joined the crew along with Han, Chewie, and Greedo. Uh, it's always fun to have Greedo along in this comic because the relationship between Greedo and Han is a, a tempestuous one, I guess we can say uh this issue actually surprisingly crossed over with the crimson rain crossover event which just concluded in marvel comics uh star wars line and i i was very surprised by that um and i won't spoil any more than to say that it does overlap with stuff that we've seen in crimson rain the other two issues that came out this week were Star Wars Darth Vader number 24 and Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 21. I haven't found time to read and write reviews for those just yet, but you'll be able to find them by the end of this week on laughingplace.com. From Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney Parks, we found out that the Caleb Doom lightsaber... Now, Caleb Doom, you might know, is the former name of Jedi Kanan Jarrus from Star Wars Rebels. Caleb Doom's lightsaber is going to be available at Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I know people are very excited to get their hands on Caleb Doom's lightsaber. It was the winner of the fan poll for who should be the next lightsaber available at Doc Ondar. So I know when that comes out, it's going to be a hot ticket item to get over there at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. More merchandise this week uh, from Denuo Novo, you might remember that name from Star Wars Celebration Anaheim when I interviewed a representative over there at Denuo Novo, but they've released a clone trooper helmet, shiny new clone trooper helmet that you can find over at their website. And then we also got Obi-Wan Wednesdays, the final week. I think I said last week on this podcast that that was the last week of Obi-Wan Wednesdays, but no, they actually did another week of reveals of Merchandise tied into the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series on Disney+. Plus, So you can go and check all that out on LaughingPlace.com. I know there's some Black Series figures, some Funko Pop vinyl figures, stuff like that, all tied into the final episode of Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that's a great segue to get into our main topic, our main feature for this week on Who's the Boss? And that's an interview that I did with composer Natalie Holt. It's a nice 20-minute interview. Very, very glad to speak with her. I feel like she's skyrocketing to the top of the list of go-to composers in Hollywood. You know, uh, she did Loki. She did Obi-Wan Kenobi. She did this movie called The Princess Coming to Hulu from 20th Century Studios. And she's also doing the Batgirl movie coming out, uh, I think, within the next couple years. So, yeah, this Natalie Holt is going to be one of the big names in film 
composers. She already is. She's already there. So it was really an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with her. I hope you enjoy my interview with Natalie Holt. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll go ahead and get started here. And um, my first question for you, uh, obviously, you've had a really big couple of years here, but I wanted to go back um, to your early interest in this line of work. Uh, did you grow up wanting to be a film composer? Um, pretty much. Yeah, I think so. Um, when I, I, John Williams is responsible, <laughs> basically. Okay. I told him this. Uh, yeah, because I heard E.T. And I just remember that was the first time that I just noticed music in film and had the theme in my head. And yeah, so I guess noticing John Williams was the thing that really made me aware that it was a job or something that I could do. Um, yeah. And then I learned an instrument and went to film school and um, had to play for like a few years because I couldn't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I, was play I was playing on other people's soundtracks in session orchestras and things. So, okay. um, yeah, and then managed to finally, I assisted Martin Phipps. Um, he's the composer that's scoring The Crown at the moment. So I worked for him for a few years and then that sort of led to me getting my own gigs. <laughs> Oh, great. Um, so obviously you're a big John Williams fan. So this is a, an appropriate job for you scoring Star Wars. But were there any other composers that influenced you uh, during that age? Like when I was really young. I mean, I was I was kind of listening to lots of um, Mozart and classical composers as well, because, um, you know, the music that I was learning. So I remember having like a tape and I used to try and conduct it. And that was that was the um, Mozart symphonies um and always I really loved like Beethoven and and analyzing classical composers as well so I, I was kind of because because I came from playing and studying music I sort of yeah I guess I was more into those Mahler and studying sym symphonic classical composers than I was into film composers at a okay. younger age I got into film composers a bit later on great so uh before you moved on to Loki and, and Obi-Wan on Disney Plus, you already had a pretty extensive filmography. I was kind of going through the list on IMDb. So you, you did short films and television and feature films. Uh, can you tell me how you got started on that career path? And um, what, what are some of those earlier projects that you're most proud of? Um, well, like the short films were from my time studying at the National Film and Television School. And those connections there, like making friends and then, you know, scoring a friend's short. And then those friends, like one of the directors that I worked with at film school got a pilot. So then I scored that for him. And, you know, one, thing's, one thing leads to another. Um, oh, I don't know what I'm most proud of. I don't know. I um, probably, yeah, the last couple of years have just been so exceeded what, like, I thought I was capable of. I mean, I never thought. I thought like maybe I'd be able to work in the industry somewhere, but I didn't ever like envisage yeah. having my name next to John Williams on the right. Star Wars titles, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, just, yeah, that, that's been really crazy. That makes sense to me. So where I first saw your name was on Loki last year. 
and I feel like that that score was really unique and engaging to me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it really stood out to me. So uh, what was your approach on that project? It felt it felt a little more offbeat than some of the other Marvel stuff. Um, how did you come? How, how did your approach to the score go? So um, I guess like the Loki score just tied together loads of sort of, yeah, kind of mismatched ideas that I had, which all seemed to go with the story, like that sort of faded analog 70s sound of the synth yeah. plus the theremin um, plus some big kind of Wagnerian orchestral things. Um, and I just had like a really strong, like Mobius, when I read his character, I was like, oh, I kind of hear his theme, like on a sort of, he's listening to like power ballads as he's on his jet skis. He's like, I imagined he'd been listening to Bon Jovi. So then his theme was like on the guitar and um, Loki's mother, I felt like I wanted to bring in some Scandinavian folk instruments. So it was just, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it just, all these different elements seem to kind of come together and help because you're telling a story that's encompassing all of time and that sort of the, the frenetic, all encompassing, like picking bits and bobs, like the sort of tapas nature of the sound palette that I was using seemed to just go with the storytelling. Yeah, I think you did a really great job in capturing the spirit of that show and it seemed to get you a lot of attention. So I guess my next question is then, how did you come to be involved with Obi-Wan Kenobi? Was that, was that based on somebody hearing your work for Loki and uh, bringing you aboard that project? So yeah, I think Deborah heard some of my work from Loki and Kathleen, like Kathleen's very hands-on with music. Um, and also some of my more emotional scores, like um, Distancia that I did, and just, I, I think like my mother and other strange, some things where I'd done some more emotional string writing because Deborah wanted um, Obi to have a real heart, like a sort of, and be quite simple, melodic and you know telling this lonely desolate story of a man in the desert like she didn't want some kind of quirky score like that was definitely very that would you know but she could hear from the Loki score that I could write melodically and that I had sort of that range that which was required for the show so I think yeah it was that was how I came to the job I think. Great so um, once you were on board obviously you mentioned Deborah Chow there. Can you tell me a little bit more about working with her? What was that working relationship like? And how did you go about creating a score to match the tone and the style that she brought to the show? Um, so yeah, when I when I got the job De in December, Deborah said, um, let's just hang out for two days and like watch through all, all six episodes. And uh, if you have some ideas, bring them along and we'll just sort of have a deep dive and discuss everything so we had these two days together um and I kind of felt like I was getting into her vision and her taste and um the, the her kind of instruction at that point was like we don't know if John Williams is going to let us use any of his themes because he has to grant permission and um he didn't grant permission for Ro uh, Rogue One okay. or Mandalorian Oh. So but he did for um, so so uh, the Han Solo movie because obviously John Powell co right. wrote with his theme on that. So 
but we weren't sure at this point whether he was going to be on board or not or whether we we're going to be able to use anything so Deborah was like I think we need to just score it as if we can't and just come up with our own sound and then see what happens so that was kind of how we started off and then a month in John Williams like had lunch I think with Kathleen Kennedy and just said like oh I'd love to write Benny a theme because he was his, the one heritage character that John Williams had not scored a proper theme for because mm -hmm. he died so early on in A New Hope so um yeah then he was on board and because he wrote the Obi theme he sort of then he watched it he watched it all through and um pinpointed areas where we could use um like in episode six where we could use his themes as well so it was all it was just kind of like I was told like this is going to go here and but you can score this bit and you know so I it wasn't like my kind of um choice of where it was going but it, I was kind of that all came from other places because there are so many people you know there's um John Williams has, has got this, the t a team that were involved as well, like Bill Ross, and they've got 40 years of Star Wars experience. And so, you know, you're in safe hands with these people because they know that balance. They know they sort of were checking everything and, um, you know, making sure that we had the right balance of old and new and the right level of Star Wars. But, you know, I don't think you can please everyone with that stuff, but for us, it felt appropriate that we were leading to Vader because he's not full Vader that we know in A New Hope yet because he's still half Anakin and he says in episode six, you know, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. And, and um, then we hear the the Imperial March and it still feels like it's really earned at that point because he now he's he's like controlling his rage and he's got it out of his system. But... So we wanted that Vader theme to just be like pure raging, like dark depths. And I did use the rhythmic um, element from the Imperial March underneath, but like everything over the top was kind of more sound design and like a hunting horn and slowed down double basses and just like really gnarly deep orchestral stuff. Great. So uh, you said that you had already started working on the score kind of before John Williams agreed to come aboard and write this new original theme for Obi-Wan Kenobi. So once you heard that new theme for Obi-Wan, does that then affect the score that you've already written for the series? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think that having John's input into the series just helped me like, not I knew where I was going I knew how to see things and the kind of tone, he set the tone, I think, with that theme. And so I, I used more conventional orchestral instruments and um, yeah, like it, it just kind of helped give the tent poles for the show, I think. So that was, that was great. It was just because before that it was kind of, you know, how new, how, how, what should we do? Like how could, how, what's the balance here and how are people going to react to like something like the Mandalorian score which is so you hear it and it, it feels like it's so fresh and unusual but right. it is it's also a character that hasn't got that legacy so you can kind of like um be, live in that new space but we're in a kind of different area here so it was really difficult finding the right balance 
speaking of audience reactions, I, I got to be in the crowd when John Williams premiered the Obi-Wan Kenobi theme at Star Wars Celebration this year. I'm, I'm curious if you got to see that performance. I did. I was there too. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the same giant hall. What did you think of the uh, reaction to that? Oh, it was amazing. And it was just such a buzz to like hear everyone laughing and you know everyone seems just so happy with it in that room as well and I love watching episode two with you know just hearing that opening shot with Dayu just giant you know on those big speakers it was awesome. I'm glad you got to be there for that that's awesome. Um, so there's a soundtrack available that people can stream online for Obi-Wan Kenobi it has 31 tracks and I'm curious if you have any particular tracks that stand out to you that would you would point to people and say, uh, this is uh, the one that's most interesting to me or any particular favorites from those tracks? Oh, it's really hard. Um, I like, I think Days of Alderaan, I'm quite pleased with like that, how that turned out because um, Alderaan's like a sort of mystical place that we haven't seen before. And it took a while to kind of get to the heart of what Alderaan should be because Deborah was saying it's like a new tech kind of place. It looks very clean and it's probably running on green energy and like it's a socialist environment. But these are also, they are royalty and she is a princess. So it's meant to have like some, some kind of royal element to it, but it shouldn't be pompous. And, you know, it's like they're sort of royals that we can relate to. So it was like finding the right way to kind of give them a bit of a fanfare that was like down to earth. So that was, and, and then you've got Leia in there and um, yeah, that was a challenge scoring that section, but I was really happy with how the Alderaan theme turned out. Yeah, I like that one as well. I was listening to it earlier today. Um, so obviously music has been such a big part of what people have loved about Star Wars from the very beginning. Uh, how does it feel to you to have become part of that legacy? Oh, it's it's just like a huge um career high for me and like I I just of course you know like Marvel um having done Loki before it's kind of there was there wasn't anything established there wasn't any kind of like Marvel has it's not like you know like oh that's really a Marvel score they, they sort of every film's quite different and there's not like a house style set up so it is quite intimidating coming into a project where it's like you know it's been the sound of your childhood and the only other composers in there are like sort of John Powell and Michael Giacchino it's like oh my gosh <laughs> very overwhelming but incredible and um I just hope you know we got the right balance between the old and the new and and did it justice and yeah John's theme was just perfect and I, I read that um yeah I mean he's 90 and I think this he's winding down a little bit now so it sort of feels like a huge meaningful thing that I got to work with him on on in his later years as well and to have met him and seen him conducting and I was on the on the zoom when he recorded the theme um on his 90th birthday <clears throat> and it's just yeah his report his kind of the way he was treated by the musicians with just everyone has the utmost respect for him including myself and um, yeah, we, we all just feel like, gosh, if we could be like half as 
as with it when we're 90 would be, yeah. would be a huge achievement. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think you did definitely strike that balance between the old and the new. I really enjoyed the, the Obi-Wan score for sure. Um, but oh, your next, you. you're welcome. And your next Disney project is called The Princess. It's actually coming out tomorrow on Hulu under the 20th Century Studios banner. So can you tell me a little bit about that film and your contribution to it? Yeah, so um, that film just sort of slipped in before <laughs> before Obi um, came on. So sort of doing them a bit at the same time as well, which was, which was an, an unusual, um, but, but kind of handy because they were so different. You can really, um, you know, the, the two scores were very different, but um, yeah, Lee Van Kiet, who directed it, um, he's from Vietnam and he, he'd done this thing, this movie called Fury, which I think Fox saw and just loved his shooting style. Like he shoots these action sequences in a really like stylistic, stylized, frenetic way. And so it's basically kind of like Kill Bill or something <laughs> with a princess. <laughs> it's, it's just like a lot of action sequences and, um, yeah it's kind of a fun a fun one and and the score is kind of like a medieval electric guitar mashup <laughs> so oh, yeah cool. i look forward to fun. seeing that for sure and my my last question for you something that i'm personally curious about is uh obviously i, I mentioned earlier you can stream the scores for Lo loki and obi-wan kenobi on online on the internet but i'm curious if you have any hope or desire for them to release a physical disc on a vinyl or CD? Are you okay with the idea of it, uh, you know, physical media kind of becoming a thing of the past or are you hoping to get a, a oh, physical? Oh, I know. I'd love a vinyl. I'm tough. I'm pushing. I think I've heard that Loki's in the prep, in the, on the list to be doing a vinyl release. I, I wonder whether they'll maybe, maybe time it with season two. I'm not sure, but, oh, but it's definitely coming out. I've heard that they are doing a vinyl for Loki. So yeah, fingers okay. crossed. I hope you get an Obi Wan release as well. That would be really great. Oh, there is there is a physical release of Obi Wan. I'm sure. Oh, have that has that come out already? Maybe I'm. Maybe I, I just so. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw something today. Like they're doing a physical release today. I think. Okay. They're definitely yeah. I I they were doing CDs and things of that. So yeah. Well, then I'll have to grab book a copy of that because I <laughs> I want to listen to it again. Um. Oh. Well, I really thank you for your time, and uh, I know you're already on the path to becoming uh, very successful composer and I look forward to hearing your future work oh thank you that's very sweet I love your collection in the background very oh cool. thanks thanks very much it's a, <laughs> a lifetime of hoarding Star Wars collectibles <laughs> oh did you did you pick anything interesting up from the uh Star Wars celebration in Anaheim yeah. uh yeah I got a, a few t-shirts and uh just a couple of exclusive toys and stuff like that how about you oh, did you nice. get anything um, I got some Obi-Wan Kenobi socks. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> my dad my, gave them to my dad, actually. And, um, yeah, it was, I just really enjoyed being there. I was kind of I, just seeing, like, people getting Star Wars tattoos. Like, there's a whole area where you yes. get a Star Wars tattoo. I was like, wow, can you imagine, like, just coming home with, like, I don't know, Darth Vader on your leg or something? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I haven't... Uh been able to bring myself to get a tattoo yeah but maybe someday <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, in a thank moment you. of madness all yeah, right absolutely. thank you so much great to meet you you too <laughs> bye bye take care bye
That was my interview with Natalie Holt. She was the composer on Loki and Obi-Wan Kenobi and some other stuff coming out. The Princess Batgirl. Oh boy, uh, I can't wait to get my hands on the physical releases of both Loki and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I hope she's right about both of those coming out. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Who's the Boss? I do want to do our final segment here. It's called First Steps into a Larger World. This is just where I talk about the media I've been enjoying and consuming outside of Star Wars. And my example this week is called The Northman. And it is a movie by Robert Eggers, who's the director behind The Witch and The Lighthouse, both movies that I really, really enjoyed. So I was really looking forward to seeing The Witcher, sorry, The Northman. The Witcher is a video game that I've been playing recently, which is why I got confused. Uh, no, I, I wanted to see The Northman in the theater and never quite got around to it. I think I was very busy while it was playing in the theaters, but it is now available on home media. We actually rented it from Redbox, which we hadn't done. We hadn't rented anything from Redbox in probably a year or two. We've mostly been streaming stuff. So it was kind of a, a step a little bit further backwards in time uh, to rent it on physical media. But I always enjoy watching stuff on Blu-ray. You don't have to worry about your internet connection or anything like that. Um, and yeah, The Northman is really, really entertaining. Um, it's not quite as intimate, I would say, as The Lighthouse or The Witch. And that's part of what I really love about both of those movies is they're both kind of set in one location and these bizarre events kind of play out uh, in that very intimate space. And then the Northman is a little bit more sprawling and epic. I kind of compared, I mean, it's obvious, very obviously a remake of William Shakespeare's Hamlet, or you might know it better as the Lion King. But then I did some research and I found out that Hamlet was actually based on this myth called Amleth. It's a Norse myth. Um, so yeah, this actually would have come first. The The subject matter, the source material for the Northmen would have come before William Shakespeare wrote Hamlet. And he kind of based that work on this work. So it's cool to have a kind of an action-packed, really entertaining, really well-made, uh, gorgeously shot adaptation of that story from director Robert Eggers, which a, a wonderful cast also in this movie. So yeah, highly recommended The Northman. Uh, my wife and I both really enjoyed that film. And that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Who's the Bosk? Let's see, next week it's going to be episode 110. And I've got a fun surprise in store for that. So I'm not going to say too much more about that. Otherwise, please visit laughingplace.com for all your Disney news and opinions. And this interview that I did with Natalie Holt will be transcribed and posted on the website as well. So if you want to go and read it instead of listening to it, you're more than welcome to check that out. My name is Mike Celestino. I want to thank you out there for listening. If you are listening, see you real soon. See you next time. Bye. Boring conversation anyway.